You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, Guys, I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to start from verse 32. Have you ever wanted to skip a line? Have you ever been in line somewhere? And you just wanted to jump to the front. If you've been land, yes. <laughs> then we get the fast pass, and you're like, yeah, this is way better. And then you go, but it's still a line. Or if you've been reading about the, the issues at the passport offices these days, nobody wants to wait to get a passport right now. Some people are actually being paid to stand in line for you in the passport offices, making 50 bucks an hour to be your proxy and stand in line. How about... How about when you're standing in line, that other person zips past you? I like the people who do it like, like you're at Starbucks or something, and like they didn't know that's where the line was. That's always my favorite. And then you try to be polite, excuse me, sir. And it's like, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't see the line. You didn't see the 20 people? Okay, that's where we're standing, and that's how this has functioned ever since 1971 when Starbucks opened. But whatever. <laughs> you didn't figure that out. Or you're in, or you're in traffic, and you're like, man, this is going to take forever. And then down the shoulder goes... Well, that sounded like a motorcycle, or it might be, it might be a moped, who knows. But someone <laughs> zips by thinking, suckers, as they go past everybody, and you're thinking other words, but I won't use those words. We've all been through that. We've all been through that thing of wanting to get to the front of line, or maybe saying, no, I'm not that kind of person, and then watching someone else do it, and feeling the injustice, and being a little ticked off. We've been uh, walking through the gospel of Mark over the last several months, And although Jesus has been hinting at the difficulty that's going to be coming his way, has been aiming towards the cross, and we've seen a real shift in the last few chapters, that they are now on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus is leading his disciples to Jerusalem. And and the disciples have all sorts of hopes in their mind about what that ought to look like, and Jesus is trying to correct their thinking. I inherited a version of Christianity that did not think of Jerusalem the way Jesus seems to be thinking of Jerusalem, that it's going to mean suffering and it's going to mean trouble. I had a lot of kind of what the disciples maybe had of let's just skip the line and let's get to the good stuff. But Jesus is trying to teach in the, in the section that we're going to look at today, and he's been doing it for a while, that it is not easy to follow Jesus. But things need to be put in their right order. That glory comes after the long journey. And we'll see is that the disciples, they they want to skip straight to the front of that line. They just want to go right to the risen part. Let's just go right to that and skip all. Let's go straight to the glory part. I want to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. And we are going to read from the gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 32 to 45. These are the words of God to us this morning. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. It says up because even though you look at a map, it looks like it's south. It's all uphill. With Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. 
Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now that sounds like schoolyard fun. Whatever we say, you say yes, okay? You always want more information before you say yes to that. Whatever we ask, uh, what do you, sorry, he says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. See how they're jumping straight ahead. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? These are words for taking wrath and trial in their lives. We can, they answered. They gave it a lot of thought. We can. This will be easy. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they, began, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, I pray you'd open our hearts and minds to what you'd want to say to us this morning. And for some of us, this may be a real challenge to hear this, this version of the gospel and what we've been called to. I pray that your spirit would do a real work in us today. And as we often pray at CA Church, whatever you're going to ask of us, we want to say already, we will do whatever you ask of us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. In therapy and counsel, there's, there's a, a great statement, a great term. It says, it talks about the importance for short-term discomfort in order to get long-term gain. Short-term discomfort for long-term gain. And that may sound belittling for those who are suffering, but many of us who have gone through life, we understand the benefits that actually come through walking through trial. And we, we see that everywhere in our lives. I'd love to work out once, and that be it. I'd love to go for one run, and that would be it. And then all of a sudden, I've got a fit body. But the fact is, we need to, to eat a certain way. We need to exercise a certain way, go for walks. We have to do all the little stuff in order to get the final product. In education, we don't just show up, pay the money, although it feels like it, show up and just pay the money, and they go, here you go. Here's your, here's your diploma. Here's your master's. We have to read. We have to go to classes. We have to write exams. Raising kids would be nice too, wouldn't it? Let's just zip straight from that right to you're leaving? That would be great. <laughs> I do. Um, but we have to put in the hard work. You can't skip steps. We can't skip steps in our maturity. We can't step, skip steps in our sanctification. In our relationships, sometimes we have to have very important conversations that are hard to have in order to have long-term health in our relationships. Some of us have met people who nobody's had those important conversations with. <laughs> Some of us have had, who had those people in our lives whose parents did try to skip steps, and they don't make great adults very often. In some ways, the, the, the disciples are saying to Jesus, let's, let's just skip. 
Let's just skip to the good stuff. Let's skip the cross. Let's skip all that stuff that comes with. Let's go straight to the crown. Let's skip the veggies and get the ice cream sundae. That's what we want to do. Jesus and his disciples are, are on a long walk. They're on their way to Jerusalem. As Jesus already explained, Jerusalem is going to mean suffering. Jesus gets that. Jesus has accepted that, but the disciples have not. And so for the third time, this is the third time Jesus has said this in the Gospel of Mark, he's explained that this is the path I must take. This is where I am going, and this is what it means to follow me. This is not an option. This is a choice. This is why I am here. If this does not happen, I am of no use to the world. I must suffer. I must die. That's why if we are looking to Jesus simply as, uh, as an example or a good ter- teacher, we are not looking at him on his own terms. So if any people uh, respond to Jesus by going, yes, I think he's a good teacher, Jesus did not leave that open. <laughs> that is not the purpose of Jesus coming. See, Jesus can say, I, I, I'm not coming just as an example, although I'm the best example of life you'll ever see. I'm not coming just as a teacher, although I will go down in history as the greatest teacher of all time. I'm not coming just to do those things. My purpose is to suffer and to die. My life is to be given up as a ransom for many. And there is no other way for salvation to happen. There is no other way for my reign over the hearts of humanity to take place. There is no resurrection without my death. This is the way. Now, for any of you who have checked out Disney Plus's Mandalorian, there we go. The Mandalorians, the Mandalore, are part of an ancient tribe with a very deep religious conviction. There are certain parts that certain things they do not do. One is they never take their helmet off. They are not to let other people actually see their face. They have a handful of these important ancient traditional codes that are part of their religion and part of their people. And anytime they are challenged on what they are doing, they always say, this is the way. I've tried that at home when my wife has said, why are you doing that? I just say, this is the way. It is not, it's not great. It doesn't go over as cool as it does in that. And it probably doesn't work as well when I always wear the helmet around the house either. <laughs> well, the Mandalorian stole that. Jesus is saying throughout the Gospel of Mark, this is the way. This is what it means to follow me. This is Jesus' way. And we see that in verses 32 to 34. At the beginning of this text, we are, we are, we are told that there are some, in verse 32, there are some who are astonished, and that means like in awe of everything they've been witnessing with Jesus, and then there are some who are afraid as they follow Jesus. I think that is a pretty authentic description of following Jesus, isn't it? Sometimes we're in awe, and sometimes we're afraid. That's a pretty good idea of what it means to follow Jesus in a nutshell. Following Jesus can be a mix of astonishment and fear. And Jesus made the promise of danger, of being hated, of being given over to powers that would do him harm and would do his disciples harm. And since the beginning of the gospel, Jesus has been pointing out that Jerusalem is the climax of this story. Through the Hebrew scriptures... And especially in the prophets of Isaiah, which so much of Mark is hinting at, there have been promises surrounding what is known as the day of the Lord that would culminate in Jerusalem. Some massive event for hundreds of years, the people of Israel have been waiting for a massive event that is going to affect the entire world to take place at Jerusalem. In, in Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, it says, This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, 
saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple, that's Jerusalem, will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, that's Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. War will be over. That will be a thing of the past when this new reign, this new event that explodes out of Jerusalem takes place. Now that text in Isaiah and many more are giving an understanding that Yahweh is going to do something great in Jerusalem. In Isaiah 60 to 61, you guys can read that later. In 61, uh, but it, it unpacks this event more and more. This great proclamation. Isaiah 61 to 3 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. Whenever it says peoples, it's not talking about Israel. It's talking about everybody else. Whenever you hear the peoples or the nations, it's talking about people outside of Israel. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Something big is going to happen. Keep your eyes open for this event, this great event. But Isaiah does not leave it there. Isaiah does not just paint this beautiful, this great event is going to happen. Within Isaiah's words are images of suffering, of some sort of sacrifice, of a servant that pulls off something cosmic through his death. All the nations are welcoming it. How are all these nations going to come in? How is this light for the nations manifest itself in Jerusalem? Through suffering, Isaiah says. Not through a display of power, but through a, play, a, a display of submission. And one of the greatest texts for that we find centered in Isaiah chapter 53. And many of you will realize you know, that we always pull that out on, uh, on Good Friday. Because <laughs> it's the description, the prophecy, that explains the death of Jesus the Christ. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read it in its entirety. This is what brings the light that Isaiah is talking about. This is what will bring about a new kingdom. Isaiah 53 says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we, we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took, upon, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open up his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. 
He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will, it was Yahweh's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord makes and and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So we see hints of the resurrection here as well. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. That is a powerful, powerful text. If you're ever wondering about the depth of God's love for you, look no further than Isaiah 53. This is how the nations are brought in. This is how you and I are now a part of this story. This is, this is the way that, that God has taken care of all that gets in the way of our brokenness in creation and a holy God who loves them passionately. How can he possibly do this? This is the way. This is the way to take care. As Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, this is the way to take care of that. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. How are we going to deal with that? This is the way. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gift is free, but it wasn't cheap. This is the way. Long before the Mandalorian said it. And this is hard news for the disciples to accept. They want to take uh, Isaiah 53 right out and just stick to 60 to 61. 60 to 62. In fact, here, suffering is actually bringing about God's greatest work. They'd rather ignore this. And we read in, in, in Mark 8, 32, that, that if you'll recall, Jesus' friend Peter wants Jesus to change that plan. This is a horrible idea. We don't want you to go and suffer, and we don't want to go with you, by the way, but we don't want that to happen. And Jesus said, you don't lead me, I lead you. Get in line. <laughs> Peter was afraid. The disciples were afraid. Can you please do this another way? Let's do it my way. Let's do the Frank Sinatra way. Can't we come up with a different plan? Verses 35 to 39, we, we kind of see the, the way they want to go. How about we go straight to the rain where everybody comes and the nations stop fighting? How about you simply impose your rule like a good king? And James and John, they say, Let, let's, just, let's just rain next to you. Can we just take our seats next to you and skip all the in-between stuff? And Jesus is basically saying here, your very request points out the problem that I've come to solve. Your very request to be lifted up is the reason I am here. Everyone wants that position. Everyone wants to reign over their own lives. And in the words of Tears for Fears, everyone, everybody, wants to rule the world. That's the state of humanity. That means that you are, you are wanting to reign over your, old, whole, your own life, but that's not enough. We want to impose our reign over everybody else, whether we're sharing a house with them or whether we're at Starbucks with them or we want to dominate the conversation or whatever it is. It's in us to take over, to rule. <laughs> I, I love that they ask this within earshot of the rest of the ten. They hear this, and they get mad. I can only imagine that Peter is over somewhere just happy it wasn't him, because he seems to be the guy who always does this. 
And he says to his disciples, you don't know what you're asking for. Do you think you can go through exactly the same thing that I'm going through? Is that really what you want to walk through? And they very quickly answer yes. And he says, absolutely, you're actually going to. <laughs> the greats in the kingdom are not are not uh, kings, though. You guys need to realize that. The, the greats of the kingdom are the ones who drink the cup of suffering, who go through the baptism and the trial of giving everything up. My kingdom comes through submission, and those who live in my kingdom do so in submission one to another. This is the way. I, I tell you, I, I don't think there's an hour, a minute goes by if I'm engaging with other people where I don't want to be the one we're talking about. Maybe that's just me. Where I don't want to be seen as the one lesser in the conversation. Oh, that's a good story. I got another story. I didn't hear the whole second half of your story, but the beginning sounded good and reminded me of a really good story about myself. So, <laughs> And it's interesting here because Jesus then says something quite strange to us, I would say. Even he is in submission to something else. That seems strange for us. Jesus is in submission to God's way, the Father's way. We see that in verse 30. He says, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Well, there's only one other person that could be granting that, and the disciples know that. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And that is weird stuff, where it's like, well, aren't you and the Father one? Haven't you told us that already? Isn't there uh, this connection where you guys, you're, you're so, I'm not, okay, it's called the hypostatic union, where you're so deeply connected to your divinity that you move as one? How can he know stuff and you don't know stuff? And we can pop, uh, we can pop through bits of scripture in, in the gospels, and we can think there seems to be this disconnect at times. Even in Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But concerning the day and hour of Christ's return, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And we can move to this beyond the idea of, of knowledge, and there's these aspects of Jesus' humanity that seem, seem like he's so pushed away from God the Father. Matthew 4, 2, he talks, it talks about Jesus being hungry. In John 4, 6, he's tired. In Matthew 26, 38, he's feeling sorrow. As if he was surprised by some bad news. Matthew 8.10 says he's amazed. Well, how can the divine Christ, the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, who says, I and the Father are one, how can he have these experiences? Well, we find out when we read Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, Paul outlines this beautiful path of Jesus, which starts in glory goes through suffering, starts in glory, goes through suffering, and then back to glory. In verse 6 of Philippians 2, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some versions say to be grasped and held on to. Rather, he made himself, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus gave something up. It wasn't his ability to act, but it was the humility to restrain himself. He had the ability, but he also had the humility to restrain himself and give some things up. Humility and submission. This is the way. And at this point, you can see that there's kind of a little, there's animosity happening within the group, within the twelve. 
And it's almost, you can almost imagine Jesus like, everyone gathering, let's have a little talk. He's like, everyone just sit down. One, two, three, two, one. Okay. Okay, everyone just sit down. Let's talk. He says, and he basically says, this is our way. This is the way we are going to do things. I am about to die to create a new kind of community. And this is how we're going to do things. And by the way, guys, you are the ones who are going to start this and plant churches and proclaim my gospel. So you are going to be the, you are going to be, um, de- starting these kinds of communities. So you guys need to get this right. This is our way. This is what we are called to. So don't be like the world. I'm creating something new. Everything you ever thought about power, everything you ever thought about prestige, influence, I want you to flip that on its head and you're going to blow the socks off the world because they won't get it. And the world still doesn't get it, by the way. Mark 10, 43 to 44 says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of a few close, no, of all. Man, what would that look like? To consider ourselves the second most important person in every room. Or the least most important person in every room. In Philippians 2.5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. James, John, disciples, Brad, TC, the cross comes first, then glory. The cross, then the crown. This is the way. You cannot think that you are above your king. This is the reign I am bringing. You can't live above the reign that I am bringing. How can you desire to be above your humble Savior? I would say much of our our disillusion that while many people my age have, and maybe some of you, much of the disillusion we have with the Christian faith comes from ignoring what Jesus invited us to. Yes, glory is coming. Yes, the, the resurrection declares that our glory is coming. That is the promise of the resurrection. You can read 1 Corinthians 15. That's what it, it talks about throughout the entire chapter, chapter. But we are not only saved by the cross, we are called to live out what some scholars call the cruciform life. The life that's ready to give it all up for the sake of the gospel, to follow the path that Jesus modeled for us. And we saw earlier in this chapter, Ryan shared with us last week, Jesus challenging the rich young ruler and saying, yeah, you've done everything right, one more thing for you, give everything up and give it to the poor. The challenge is the same for us. Are you willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel? Whatever I challenge you to give up, We're not only saved by the cross, we're called to the cross. So what would that look like? In your situations this week, in your conversations this afternoon, in the living room that you're going to spend some time in today, whether it be with strangers or whether it be with family, what would it look like in politics if politicians started saying, you know what, I'm willing to give up my rights. I'm willing to give up my power play here. When a Christian serving as the head of a business says, you know what, I'm willing to give up my rights. I know I have power to fire. I know I have power to embarrass you in front of the board, but I'm going to give up my rights and I'm going to show humility and grace and kindness, forgiveness. What would marriages look like if husbands said to their wives, I'm willing to give up my rights 
for the sake of this marriage. I'm willing to give up all the things that I think I deserve for this marriage and submit to the covenant that we're in. What would it look like in big and small ways in our lives when we say, I'm going to give, I'm going to to live in his way. I'm going to walk his path. I'm going to to speak to the barista who got my my order wrong in a way that says, I'm going to give up my rights. I'm not going to demand anything. I'm going to say, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter that it was 10 minutes late. I'm okay with that. It's okay. Have a great day. Shouldn't it look like that? Shouldn't it look a little different than the other person who's irritated because they don't have their coffee? Maybe I'm the only person who does this. So maybe I'm just talking to myself. (laughs) What would it look like this week if we didn't bank on our rights? Jesus says, you don't have any rights. You're a citizen of heaven. You're right. Don't worry. My stamp is on you. Everything's coming. Why are you worrying about fighting for everything here that is not going to be around forever? Bank on the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I will follow the path of Christ. And you might say, Brad, you you don't know what would become of us in this world. (laughs) You don't know what would happen to our, our position at work if we gave up our rights. Our position on the team, our position in, well, maybe nothing will happen other than you'll be admired because you look a lot different than everybody else. But Jesus says, following him means drinking the cup, experiencing the baptism of judgment, of trials, of misunderstanding, of rejection. And then in time, hear this, and then in time, but without exception, glory. Yes, you will suffer. Yes, you will drink the cup of persecution. Yes, you will be be baptized by trial and tribulation. And the church throughout its 2,000 years certainly has. And we use the word persecution a little too easily these days. But yes, there will be all those things. They will all have their time. But without exception, glory will come. The resurrection declares that. Romans 8, 18 to 21 makes it very clear we're going to walk through difficult times. I consider that our present suffering, however, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is the way. And it is only after Jesus suffers and endures that Philippians then ends that that beautiful ancient hymn by saying, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth And under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful Savior we worship. What a beautiful Savior we pursue. Who would give up glory to gain us. Who would give up glory to welcome us in. This is the path that we're invited to follow. Giving up everything to gain more Jesus and all that he has to offer. You want glory, you want victory. They've already been purchased for you. Don't worry, you're getting them. If you are a Christ follower, victory and glory are coming your way, without exception. But we are not above our Savior. 
Jesus ends his opening statement in this text we just read with a stunning declaration. Yes, the Son of Man will be flogged. He'll be mocked. He'll be spit upon, but then he will rise. That is where we bank everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, and the future glory that he pointed to. That's where we bank it. He will rise, and we can bank it because he did. I think you and I get overwhelmed often by, by suffering when we forget that this is the route we were actually invited to. Why is this happening to me? Hey, it was a promise. The long, slow road to glory. And sometimes we can be so blinded by the path that we forget the destination. We can be so blinded by the path we forget the destination. That is understandable. We walk in a, in a world every day. We walk through difficulties and concerns that make the path, make us, us blind to the destination. And there's a way that we push back against that. We push back against that in community and sharing our story together. That's why we do not walk through life alone. That's why if you're not in community groups or you're not serving or you're not getting together with other believers to t- talk about how your sto- stories all intertwine with Jesus and each other, you will find more suffering and more pain and more loneliness. It's important to live in community. That's why we need to be people who spend time in prayer. Spend time, as I was saying a few weeks ago, going out and taking in nature and letting the the creation remind you of the power of God. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily and be reminded of this story. There's no surprise that the church has walked through difficulty. But one of the last ways that I want to say, and is important for the church, because we are fighting against the story of the world every day. You're going to fight it the minute you walk out of here. Some of you are already fighting it in your mind right now, thinking about what we have to do later on today. And there's things that have been put into our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ to push back against that story, to remind ourselves of the story we are in, that yes, we'll have trial, yes, we'll have trouble, but without fail, we'll lead to glory. We remember Jesus. We're going to take communion right now. The reason we're taking communion, the reason Jesus implemented and gave to his disciples communion and the church has practiced it for 2,000 years is to remember. It is an act of remembrance. Every once in a while, my wife will say to me, or I will say to my wife, because our dad's passed away around the same time, do you remember this? Do you remember this about him? Do you remember this about him? Most of them are good. There's some negative stuff. <laughs> but there's something in that practice that warms us, that reminds us of the goodness of that relationship. There's something very interesting about when Jesus gave his disciples communion When he first implemented it, he said, I want you to eat this meal together until I return. We're celebrating death, remembering death, until he returns. Let's not lose the beauty of that act. So when Jesus was with his disciples on the night that he would be betrayed, they ate ate bread together. And he said, every time you eat bread together, as, as my community, I want you to remember that I gave, that this, this bread represents my body that I freely gave for you. 
No one took it from me. I gave it for your sakes. I suffered to bring you life. And then at the end of the meal, he took the cup. And he didn't have to tear anything off to get to the cup, but we will. (laughs) And he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood that was spilled for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, sorry, I should have said, you guys can pop your hands up if you need one of the cups. How we do communion right now, still kind of coming out of COVID, as we are each given our own little cups, there's a very thin film on the top that if you pull back has a small wafer. You know what, Soren? I'll take one. I forgot to grab it up here. Thanks. Thanks, Dana. Oh, oh. Thanks, brother. And I'll ask you to peel those back now because it takes away that odd moment right after I pray. If you go straight to the juice, you've gone too far. So you can get the wafer out and then you can pull back the next. Guys, when we take communion together. We are firmly planning ourselves in the gospel story. See, we often sell a version of Christianity, and this is a discussion I have with the kids pastor here all the time, that we're always concerned that we're not selling a quick fix or a a stamp on your life version of Christianity that says, just give your life to Jesus, everything will be great. He can do something incredible. Okay, when? Because right now I'm hurting. Right now this can be difficult. When we take communion, we're reminded there is a, a long walk to glory. When we take the bread, we're reminded of the suffering of Christ. We're reminded that he, we will eat this meal one day with him, but we're also reminded that he is our sustenance here and now. Bread is the most fundamental food that we find all over the world. It is fundamental to our Christian walk that we come to Jesus daily. And so when we take communion, we're reminded our past is taken care of if we come to Christ. Our sins are forgiven. They are left at the cross. We know that our future is taken care of. How do we know? Because he was resurrected. He burst out of the grave and said, I will do this with you as well. That is our future without fail. We were also reminded that he is here with us now. He walks with us today. And each day we come to him and say, give me what I need for today. As basic as the bread we eat, as basic as whatever your fundamental food is you must have every day, that is what Jesus invites us into and wants to walk with us in. Let me pray, and then we'll take the bread together. Jesus, we thank you for your humility. We thank you for a love so deep that you would leave your throne, that you would take on flesh, knowing full well what that would mean, that you would take the long walk to Jerusalem, you would be handed over to human rulers whom you spoke into existence. You would hum- humbly submit yourselves to their power and without, wor- without any word be crucified. We thank you for giving up your body for our sakes, for paying the price we never could, for paying for the wages that we incurred so that we could have eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat the bread together.
And Jesus, as we take this cup together, we're reminded that in a way we drink a toast. We drink, we drink a, a toast to our king in this strange, sacred drama that we play out. Because as you said, we will, the next time we see you, we will drink this together. And so, Father, whatever we've walked into this place with today, whatever trial we're walking through, whether it be in relationship and family and work and school, stuff that's hit us from the side this week that we were not prepared for, we thank you that without fail, you are in charge of history and you've declared to us where history is headed. We thank you for purchasing our future, for erasing our past with your blood. And we drink in remembrance of that. Amen. Let's drink together. And so, God of grace, may this not be a simple practice that we leave behind, something we've checked off as the practices of the church, as our liturgy, but may it empower us as we've placed ourselves directly in the middle of the story that you're telling. You are a better king than we could ever be. You, are a, you write a better story than we could ever write for ourselves. So may this, the truth of this that we've listened to, that we've played out in the drama of communion, may it animate us today and through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.